Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin is home to the nation's only master cheesemakers program that provides innovative cheesemakers with continuing education opportunities? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at CharityBuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. So a quick teaser, uh, I spent five days last week, uh, and for those of you that don't know what day it is because you're listening to this in the future, today is Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. Um, it is the final show of this season of Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio. We'll be back in about six weeks with uh, the next season after a short break. But last week, uh, I went into the woods in Tennessee, uh, off the grid, about 60 miles outside Nashville, and spent five days with 13 other uh, folks who were interested in fermentation, fermenting everything we could possibly find to talk about fermenting, uh, with Sander Katz, who wrote The Art of Fermentation and Wild Fermentation, and uh, it was an incredible experience. We made six or seven kinds of bread, we made miso, we made our own koji, we made tempeh, we made kombucha, vinegar, the list goes on and on. So I will do a whole separate show about that experience and about some of the people that I met there, but wanted to sort of relay that. That's where I was. The last couple weeks shows were recorded, but today we're live in the studio. It's episode number 105 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm really pleased to have Chef Jeremy Salomon here and uh, his sous chef, Daniel Stork. Uh, they are at the Eddy in the East Village here in New York City. Jeremy's the executive chef, uh, and he's been winning praise all over the place for his food. I've been hearing great stuff. I haven't been in yet myself, but thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so, you know, I uh, was really interested when I first heard about you, um, about your Hungarian background. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear that you have a you have a Hungarian background, but you also grew up in Florida, and now you're in New York, which is feels to me like very American melting pot. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a Hungarian. I'm not like from Hungary, yeah. um, of course. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, which is like the pun of uh, you know like a Jerry Seinfeld joke. I always hate saying <laughs> I'm like I'm from Boca. Um, but yeah, and then I uh, and then I moved to I moved to New York when I was when I was 18, which was. Some people joke, it's like, oh, it's yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my grandparents, uh, my grandma Aggie and my grandpa, uh, my grandpa Steve, uh, both Hungarian. Um, my grandmother came from Budapest. 
um, yeah, my, my, my father and my uncle, um, both, uh, both really grew up with more, but with the language, uh, and the, and the culture than, than I did. But, uh, but I still got to taste all of the delicious food. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in, in Boca Raton was like, you know, were you like a weird family because you were eating Hungarian food and everybody else was having, I mean, I, you know, in my like New York upbringing, I imagined that part of Florida being apostrophe S restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Boca's a little it's stuck in its ways. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, short rib sliders are still a thing there. Um, <laughs> but you know, my, um, my grandmother, uh, yeah, she, she had a weird melting pot of things on the table. It was this, it was like a American food, Hungarian, French, Italian. It wasn't just strictly the, you know, spetzla and goulash. Um, but I feel like Boca's predominantly, I mean, lots of Jews. Sure. Uh, so I f- feel like I, I definitely had a few friends who had other Hungarian grandparents, uh, yeah. Then moving out of Boca, I, that became less and less common. My dad's grandmother was mm-hmm. Hungarian. Yeah. And so, I mean, it didn't really filter all the way down to me. I mean, she was long, long past by the time I was even born. But there's a lot of family stories. So grandma kept chickens. And the joke in the family was that all of her recipes started out, first you kill a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my grandmother definitely did not have have a chi- have a chicken. Uh, I, I, I can't even imagine her with a chicken. She like she loved like shopping trips to Bloomingdale's, <laughs> and getting her nails done. Uh, she she was high society vibes, but but I love her. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean the the, the family stories about my Hungarian great grandmother are that she was a very tough lady. Mm-hmm. She apparently left Hungary and left her children and her husband in the old country. Mm-hmm. Came to New York, made enough money to send back for her kids, but not her husband. Wow. And she ended up marrying an American guy after yeah. that and left her husband there. And wow. apparently he then came to find her mm-hmm. and she basically kicked him down the stairs in the tenement and like didn't want anything to do with him. To Wanda, <laughs> man. Yeah, really. <laughs> she actually lived right near where your restaurant is. Uh, oh, she wow. lived on East 4th Street between B and C around like 1900. Yeah, that whole area. I mean, it's Polish, Ukrainian. Yeah, Ukrainian. Um, even though Little Hungary was uh, used used to be really on the the Upper East Side like right. in the 80s. But now it's... It's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing right. anymore. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about the the Eddie. Describe the describe the food. Describe the vibe. Sure. Uh, Daniel, do you want to talk about? That? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. The the Eddie is. Uh, we could both talk about it. The yeah. Eddie. Um, well, when it first opened, um, the chef uh, who I love and admire and respect the hell out of uh, Brendan McHale, he. Uh, was doing more like uh, upstate uh, Catskill sort of food, um, very fish heavy uh, and, and meat and some game. And uh, and I learned a lot from him. But I so I worked at the Eddie as a, as a line cook, uh, then became a sous chef. And now I'm the executive chef, uh, which is still mind boggling to me. Uh, and so what I wanted to do was bring a little bit of my heritage into the food. Um, I don't feel like anyone else was doing Hungarian food in sure. Manhattan anymore. You don't no. you don't really hear that. Um, so I thought that was exciting and, and maybe to bring a little bit of, of that back um, for for New York and, and also for, for my grandparents who um, had a dry cleaning store here in Manhattan years and years and years ago. Um, so the vibe now of the Eddie is, I'd say it's a little bit more, I hate using the word rustic or it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more cat, like casual. It's more, 
um, more about like yeah. tradition and, and family culture. And, I feel yeah. like when I came in for the first time, when you were still working there as a sous chef, that it was very formal, which was fine. But I feel like that even though it still has a very high standard in terms of service and quality of food, like we did break it up a little bit and um, hopefully are kind of creating a more, yeah, kind of shared, familiar atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Also in just terms in, in terms of how we how we represent and and how we plate things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, the dishes looking at the menu to me sound very much like, you know, they sound like home. I mean, yeah. not, not necessarily my home, but there right. are things that like I look at them like, oh, I could I could make that at home. That'd be delicious. Or yeah. I can go eat it in the restaurant and yeah. maybe meet someone new sitting next to me at the table, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you ha- can you tell me about Longos? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Langos. Langos, <laughs> not sorry. To, no, it's... Uh, my, Clearly um, my Hungarian is not, you know. No, uh, I, I actually just recently met somebody that was like, oh, it's it's like mango, but with an L. <laughs> um, yeah, um, langos. Uh, I, they are like a street food in Hungary, uh, almost as common as a, as a New York City pretzel uh, or when you get a fried Twinkie at a, at a carnival or, or something at a county fair. Uh, it's a it's almost like a flatbread, a fried flatbread. Um, and I mean, we look at it, Daniel and I, and, and I think other chefs can that know about Langosh, uh, can identify it as it's an actual bread that takes a lot of love and care. Um, you know, it's it's proofed and it's made with riced potato and, and there's a lot of craftsmanship that actually goes into it. Um, so it's know, flour and potato. It's so. flour, yeast and potato cool. uh, and milk. And it's not just like, to me, it's not just like a carnival food or, you know, <laughs> street food. It's, it's a really beautiful piece of bread that has um, so much flavor to it. Yeah. I think that's something typical of Jeremy, too, is that he will take something like a langosh, a simple dish, um, or, or like those dishes you said you saw on our website that remind you of something that you could eat at home, but we will work on them and kind of in the background, so maybe that you won't, as a layman or a customer, necessarily see it, but we will work on them. Uh, in to a degree that we feel like we've perfected them sure and then um but they 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 present very basically so to speak but i think once you taste the food you will tell the difference and we've had people from hungary come in and tell you jeremy like oh this is the best language i've ever had Mm -hmm. it's not from hungary yeah i was like (laughs) don't go back there and tell them that yeah (laughs) yeah i mean you know to your point daniel i think you know like so for instance one of the dishes that i looked at the menu the fire roasted beets Yes. Looks awesome. I make beets at home a lot, but I'm not making Swiss chard chimichurri to go with them. <laughs> and maybe I'm putting cashews or walnuts or pepitas or something with them. I, you know, unlike, uh, you know, and then horseradish is like an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But when I'm whipping up dinner on a Wednesday night, you know, with, with my kids and got to get them in the bath and get them to bed and all that stuff, I'm not taking the care to go to arrange those flavors in the same right. way. So it's nice that you have sort of the base of something like beets, mm-hmm. which is a very, you know, a peasant food for lack of a better way to term it and it's mm-hmm. something that's very you know especially this time of year it's like we're still it's not spring yet yeah everybody wants it to be spring so yes. bad but it's not yet oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so you know beets are one of those things and it's and you know and you're adding these brighter flavors to it with things like horseradish and chimichurri yeah um, i'm really i'm into it i can't wait to can't wait to come in i do love that dish uh so moving from florida coming to new york you knew you wanted to be a chef yeah. Right? I mean, from a very young age. Yeah. I told my mother, uh, I think when I was like, you know, eight or nine, I was in the back seat of the car driving home from, uh, my mom was driving me home from school and I like leaned up from the back seat, you know, with like the seatbelt, like pu- pulling me back. <laughs> and I was like, ma, I think I'm going to be a chef when I grow up. 
and she, her response was, that's nice. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, cause a nine, you want to be an astronaut. You want to be everything. In the world. I mean, my, my eight year old daughter wants to be president and I mean, I hope yeah. she follows in your footsteps and yeah. does what she says she's going to do from that age. I, I hope so. Yeah. I, for, for the sake of America, I hope she is the next president. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I told my, my mother I wanted to be a chef at a, at a really early age. I don't really know what brought that about. I, um, I, I mean, I definitely grew up with good food, and I was privileged to, to um, have good, good food, you know, both at home and also my parents, my, especially my father, really big into going out into restaurants and bringing us with them, uh, which sometimes they regretted. Uh, but because uh, I was actually terrible in restaurants, I would scream. Me too. And they, Me yeah, too. Like, I famously threw a salt shaker across the entire dining room, wow, and hitting nice. another table. Oh boy! You yeah. did that just yesterday at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I you're famous upset. for that still. Still, <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I go there now, they're like, "Nope, not, yeah. <laughs> take the salt off yeah. the table." Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's that's cool. I mean, I think that that's you know, as a parent, you know, it is it is hard for me to take my kids out to eat, mm-hmm. but I do want to take them out to eat. As a kid, I was taken out to eat by my parents, and I'm sure I did some shitty stuff too in restaurants but you know the exposure even you know even just seeing that people were in this environment of eating different foods eating foods together laughing drinking you know Mm -hmm. i think there's you know i think it's super important to like take your children out to eat um and it makes them more cultured and and you know I mean, the first most exotic thing I ate, was, I remember, was uh, mussels. I had mussels uh, in Maine. I went to go visit. Um, my brother was at a sleepaway camp. Um, we went to just go pick them up. And my father was like, ordered me a bowl of mussels and kind of like forced me to try it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just couldn't stop eating it. And then I went home and like told all my friends, I was like, oh, I ate mussels. And people are like looking at their arms and like, that's gross. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Uh, and I was like, how do you not know about this? And yeah. I feel like that kind of set the tone for, <laughs> for the rest actually, of my life. That's funny because muscles set the tone for the rest of my life, too. I yeah. didn't know that because I was a terrible eater, according to my mom. And then um, the first time I ate something other than very basic ch- children foods was also muscles. Mm-hmm. And and it was kind of, she says, I don't remember it, but she's like, from that time on, I just started eating everything. Oh, that's really, that's cool. I mean, yeah. they, they are very approachable for kids, right? I mean, they're, they're neat. They're easy to yeah. understand. They're small. Yeah. And right? you have There's to no, use your hands. Use your hands, right? You don't need a knife yeah. and fork. Muscles are the gateway drug. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> let's so, remember that. Yeah. yeah. Let's remember that. <laughs> you, do you guys have muscles on the menu? Uh, we don't. Of course not. But maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we did just, uh, we do have cockles. Yeah, there you go. Cockles similar. and clams. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Five valves. Yeah. <laughs> All about them. Um, we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage. Um, when we come back, Jeremy, I want to touch on uh, your former website, Jeremy Cooks. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> okay. <we> <laughs> I was born a banjo picking man, love, love. 
again, man. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth generation cheesemakers combine old world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and really excited today to have Jeremy Salomon, who's the executive chef at the Eddy here in the studio, and Daniel Stork, who's his sous chef. Um, so before the break, we were talking about the Eddy and talking about the food you guys serve there. Uh, it looks delicious. For those of you who are in New York or are going to be, the Eddy is at 342 East 6th Street. Uh, I would highly recommend also, uh, and if, especially if you're listening now, you keep listening. The show after this one is called The Speakeasy, and Sather Teague, who's the host, is the owner of Amoria Margo, right down the street from mm-hmm. you guys. Uh, incredible bar, so I definitely recommend people, if you're going to go to the Eddie or Amoria Margo, go to both. both. Make a night of it. Either before or after the mm-hmm. Eddie. Or, or before or and after. Yeah, go, yeah. yeah, go to Amoria Margo first, go to Amoria Margo after. Seems like a seems like a good idea. Uh, so, Jeremy, I wanted to uh, you know to talk about. I mean, I you know I didn't want to focus on it. I think a lot of the the press that I've seen around you is you know talking about how young you are and you know you've achieved a lot. Uh, you're 23, but you know more than that for me, um, I'm interested to talk about JeremyCooks.com, which was a website that you started as a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, and it was something that you had available to you. And I feel like you are probably part of a for the first generation of professionals in the kitchen who had access to sort of the internet as we know it today at that young age to be able to connect with people. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how, like, how did you end up starting JeremyCooks.com? Like, what was the, you know, when you were 13, what was the point? Yeah. um, Just to go on the record, I just turned 24. Literally just turned 24. All right. (laughs) Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, so Jeremy Cooks was a way for me to connect with uh, other kids, other teens uh, who were interested in cooking and food like me. Uh, it was hard to find other kids in the area or that I went to school with who enjoyed who enjoyed these things. Uh, you know, everyone was into uh, basketball, lacrosse, painting, you know, the, the normal stuff. And um, and I would say, well, I just uh, I made meringue this afternoon, <laughs> and people are like, yeah, okay, and cool, then they beat you up. yeah, great, like, yeah, yeah, and then they beat me up. Um, but I was. Yeah, and that, that kind of made me feel a bit of an outcast. Um, I mean, I had friends. <laughs> I wasn't alone. Um, but, it, but it definitely made me feel like, okay, I, I'm, I'm a little different in that sense. Um, well, and there, and there also wasn't at that time any, I mean, now I feel like the, 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 the food media world has come to a point where there's a lot of marketing yes. to teenagers. Yeah. Right? And there's MasterChef Junior and like all of this stuff for teenagers. But, you know, tw- 11, 12 years ago, 
that wasn't really wasn't really there yet. And so there was this whole thing of the food network that was really, you know, housewife driven or like, you know, people in their thirties who were settling down sort of driven. But I felt like, you know, you were, you know, you were interested in stuff that other kids weren't. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, when I was a kid that was, you know, I was into punk and like we, you know, yeah. we would fight with the jocks. Like that was the, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I guess kind of the same thing. Kind of. The same yeah, thing. it is. I, um, but the website, was just yeah it was just my answer to because food blogs had just I, I think it was actually because of um i had read uh read julie powell's book uh julie which julie and julia yeah um and her blog and i and i think that that kind of inspired me to to kind of share my cooking experiences with other people um but then i would uh it kind of transitioned into these dinners so i would we would take like thomas keller's french laundry cookbook and we would i'd pick out like the easiest and like quotation marks around that you know like the easiest recipes out of there and uh and try and recreate them at home um with like five of my friends um and then i documented all of that so yeah it was it was a great tool um and it it did i i embrace it i mean sometimes i shy away from it um because i feel like you know i definitely you know like there were times where i did interviews with guy fieri and and paula dean (laughs) and i and i look back and i'm like (laughs) oh but but um no, but I, I don't take it for granted. I it, it helped me, it helped fuel me, and I learned a lot of things from from it. Cool. Uh, and so then, uh, so when you graduated from high school, you went to culinary school. Yeah, I went to the Culinary Institute of America, uh, and then I dropped out. Uh, that's okay. I can go on the record saying that because uh, I have it on record. Um, I it was always instilled in me to to go to culinary school. My very first job was at a my grandparents' country club, um, and uh, my nana, God bless her, uh, she was just like hounding the chef. She's like, "My my grandson wants to cook. Please take him into your kitchen." And they're like, "Okay, that's weird. Sure, absolutely great. <laughs> uh, free labor." So they would give me a big freezer jacket, and they put me in the freezer to scoop like two hundred. Uh, martini glasses full of uh, different sorbets and I got like an hour break <laughs> uh, but I would like listen to music with the jacket on and from there I uh, made stocks and potatoes whatever you know worked my peeled potatoes worked my way up the line uh, but the chef since day one was like well if you're going to do this you need to go to culinary school and specifically you need to go to the Culinary Institute of America and I just kept hearing that everywhere I went so yeah I wound up going to school, leaving Boca, um, <laughs> running from Boca. <laughs> and yeah. And when I got there, I, um, I mean, I made some really great friends, people I still talk to to this day. Um, but I think what most people don't know about culinary school is that, um, a lot of people drop out of culinary school. A lot of people in your beginning class, I think like something like 70 to 80% of my like incoming class dropped out within the first like 28 days. Wow. Um, yeah, the people realize it's not for them or maybe it's not as glamorous as they thought it would be. Kind of all the things that we've been hearing over the last few years, um, you know, that, you know, I mean, there are people that like think that they're promised that as soon as they get out of school that they're going to be the next like, you know, Food Network star. Sure. It's like, yeah, and this being America, you live, you leave with a huge debt. Yeah. <laughs> a right, huge yeah. debt. Which I'm still paying off. Which, and you didn't even do the <laughs> whole thing. And you didn't thing. even do the whole thing. 
Uh, well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's an interesting thing, right? The idea that on the one hand, you have people seeing these kind of insane rises to fame mm-hmm. that people have, whether it's via YouTube or Food Network Star or whatever it is, uh, without really internalizing and understanding that in most cases, those people also are working really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working incredibly hard for yeah. what they have. And so then you go and you're like, well, I'm going to be a chef because I like food. And then it's really hard work. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are afraid of hard work. Yeah. That's America. (laughs) Damn Americans. Uh, So, I mean, so speaking of that, you know, what is, uh, what is, what does an average day look like for you? So like today, today, for instance, right? Like you, you know, were you at, were you prepping before you came over here for the interview? I was not. This is actually my day off. Oh, Um, good. Yeah. uh, So this is very rare. This is a treat. So thank you for being a part of my day off. Um, (laughs) Thanks for sharing your day off with me. And I mean, Daniel, unfortunately, (laughs) still won't work, but uh, he really wanted to be here, so he's tagging along. Um, I've always sat on the other side of this window in Roberta's and wondered what goes on. uh, (laughs) But uh, luckily, prep is not that bad today. So, Um, yeah, um, we go to the farm. I mean, when we're in, when we get rid of this horrid weather, uh, we go to the market uh, like four days a week five if you count the well we go to the union square farmers market uh and then we there's a smaller one in alphabet city on uh on sundays so we're at the market pretty much all day every day um we get up i mean i get up pretty early i'm there's this i learned i had to go to the market early because there was one day a long time ago when i actually ran into april bloomfield and of course i was like shocked and she kind of beat me out for the last bunch of radishes at Lonnie's farm. Um, I mean, just like went for it, scooped it all up. And I was like, damn, I, this is what I'm competing with. I, it's serious, uh, market wars. So, um, so now every morning you wake up and you have a picture of April in your head, grabbing radishes and you're like, I gotta get there. Yeah. I gotta get it. Yeah. I gotta, gotta beat her out. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so I started the market and then, uh, sometimes Daniel tags along or, or he goes instead of me and we bring um, our cooks uh, and we get to the restaurant and we'll we'll clean all of our, our produce um, that gets into the refrigerator and then we just start prep. We, we'd like to have, our, uh, it's ideal to have a meeting with our cooks yeah. uh, and go over the day. That doesn't always happen, um, but it either happens in the in right when we get in or at the very end of the night when we go over our pars. Um, yeah, and then it's just complete chaos from from there. Um, it's organized chaos. Uh, sometimes there's definitely. I mean, this is this is Manhattan. It's also generally this is the restaurant industry. You know, a, a pipe bursts. Uh, oh yeah. Or the, a refrigerator breaks. Right. All, all the things they don't teach you about in culinary school, even the, if you graduate. Yes, yeah. exactly. So um, yeah, I mean, all the. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. I actually, I think there's. I think I've become so. Uh, it's so the norm now. Yeah that um, just like all the chaos and all the things that go on around you, that it, it definitely yeah. fuels me. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Our GM weird. said the other day, like one of the things that he learned working at the Eddie most was um, he's really good at fixing toilets now. Yeah. So that kind of exemplifies that whole yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when we when we had all of our, uh, when we were still running, you know, all of our grocery in our butcher shop at the Brooklyn Kitchen when the meat hook was there, I was really good at fixing grease traps. Yeah. Oh, Which is a skill that I hope never to have to use again in my life. Okay. But, you know, I have it. Well, I'm going to call you the next time. <laughs> that I, we'll I we'll work for food. Uh, guilty. Uh, you know, that's oh, fine. absolutely. No problem. You got it. 
but I might not eat the same day that I clean the grease trap. It's yeah. a, you know, mm. might be a I separate. mean, why not? <laughs> the grease trap is a <laughs> great name it. for a bar, by the way. Or, <laughs> no, was, yeah, that's just, actually, yeah, it's a good call. Um, so uh, did you guys go to culinary school together? No. No. Uh, yeah, so Daniel is from Germany. Um, Daniel, do you want to talk about yourself a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'll talk about myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm from Germany, and I moved to New York like four years ago, maybe. Um, but my mom's American, so I was raised bilingually. Um, I didn't come to New York to cook right away, and I hadn't cooked before professionally, but um, I did get an opportunity, and I've always been cooking at home. I did get an opportunity to cook at a restaurant here about three years ago, four years ago, like right after I got here. So I spent a lot of time cooking authentic Mexican food with Ivan Garcia. He's a chef mm. of Mesa Coyoacan. Yeah. And so I learned to cook Mexican food. That was like my big interest. And it still kind of is. Um, but uh, I broke up with a boyfriend that I had at the time. It was unfortunate. But fortunate in the sense that I went on a date, kind of like a rebound date right away. I was with Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we never um, met professionally, but we went on this date. I remember we went to, like, an Irish pub or something, yeah. I think, for a beer. And I think we were just really excited to meet someone who was in the same industry. And for me especially, maybe for Jeremy, less exciting because he had been here and he'd been <laughs> cooking. But for me, I was like, oh, cool, there's another person who cooks who's my age. I was, like, really new to the industry, yeah. really new to the city. So um, although we never became a couple other than like a professional one. Yeah. Um, it, we just bonded really fast and uh, just ended up hanging out a lot. I think he met Mike, his current boyfriend, yeah, right he's, afterwards. He's putting it on the record. Yeah. I you know I have, I have a long-term boyfriend now yeah. that, who I love very much. Yeah, like uh, he met him uh, very shortly after yeah. we met, I think. So, mm -hmm. But that it never changed anything. We just really mm -hmm. like each other. Um, and then you got and, married, and and I married, yeah. So cool. I mean, but that, I mean that you know, it's a great story. I mean, to me, yeah. what that exemplifies is the fact that you never know, yeah, right, where you're going to find someone who mm -hmm. you end up working with or yeah. doing yeah. interesting projects with or whatever, and that that can come from what you know might have potentially become a romantic relationship, but mm -hmm. didn't, didn't, right? No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly got my blessings because I get to work with, um, I get to work with my best friend, which is like, I think some people might be like cringing, like, ooh, I don't know about that. And I definitely thought about that when we both thought about it when when we when we went into this. Yes. But um, it's there's definitely we we're on the same level. We um, we'll, if there's you know something that we disagree on, yeah. you know, we'll tell each other. We're very honest. Yeah. You know, if I have a booger hanging out of my nose, yeah. or, or like I did earlier during <laughs> lunch here, we'll do we'll do yeah. checks like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we're definitely on the on eye to eye level. We. We understand I think it also well. helps with the cooks, even though one might think it may not. But the good thing is, is that everyone at the restaurant, all of our colleagues, all of our professional contacts are aware that we're friends. And as you know, like kitchens can be stressful environments and there can be like uh, power battles and stuff like that. But that doesn't really happen with us because everyone knows like, you know, we're like the we're like work wives. Nobody's right, going to yeah. get in between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's preset. So, um, yeah, that's how we met. Um I kept cooking Mexican food and Jeremy kept cooking at the Eddie. At some point, he went to travel through Hungary to kind of like deepen his knowledge of his um, of homeland cuisine, mm -hmm. so to speak. And after that, we did a couple of pop-ups and that kind of led to the current situation. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, will we be seeing any Mexican-inspired food on the menu at the Eddie? I doubt at the Eddie, even though every now and then he's picked my brain for like chilies or like, yeah, what, what would you use if we did this? But... Um, 
yeah, I think at some point I'll go back to, to Mexican. My, my husband is Colombian, so I just have a thing for South American, Middle American, and Latin American countries altogether, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think the food's really exciting to me because as a German person, I never got that exposure back home because mm-hmm. we do have ethnic cuisines, but the Latin American ones are not included. Right, right, and right. So, yeah, there's not a big Latin yeah, American population. In no, Germany. not at all. Yeah. We have great Thai food in my city, Nuremberg, for some reason, but we don't have, for instance, any... There are Mexican restaurants, but they, they serve chicken wings and baked potatoes. They don't have any... They're right. run by usually Turkish or other people i don't know it's just there's no connection to the country well and i wonder if they're also working with ingredients they have available i mean i went to ukraine yes 13 or 14 years ago and went to a chinese restaurant and there was dill in all the food (laughs) well (laughs) every really weird every country has their specific chinese food (laughs) Uh, i just came back from visiting my husband and we had some chinese colombian rice He's very upset he can't hear me now, but like, Victor, (laughs) if you're listening, you're on a podcast as well. Um, No, but the thing is that um, I didn't, I I loved Mexican food from having eaten it with Mexican friends we have in LA as a kid, but I never had the opportunity to actually know how it's made. So this very mystical cuisine was kind of demystified by Ivan, my friend and mentor. Um, So yes, I'll go back to that at some point, but right now I just had this really great opportunity with Jeremy um, to actually be in charge of a restaurant. It's just teaching me so much because I hadn't been in an executive or leadership position before. And uh, doing it with Jeremy is like really awesome because he's very forgiving, but um, he doesn't lower his standards. So, And we both have high, high standards, so there's never really that issue. It's, just, it's a great environment for me to, to learn how to do this without getting fit up with it. Cool. That's really... Daniel's going to be the next, uh, he's going to be the German Rick Bayless. Yes, that's just my goal. Just want to put that oh, out there. Nice. Getting my yoga game fired <laughs> I up. I just ate it from Terra Grill for the first time. <laughs> How it, was it? A couple weeks ago. It was, it was actually really good. I yeah. mean, I felt, you know, I felt like there was a little bit of a, like, going in, I sort of had an idea of what it would be like having spent time in New York and, like, eaten at kind of sit-down uh, mm-hmm. tablecloth Mexican restaurants when I was a kid in the 80s and early 90s. Um, but it was, I mean, the food was excellent. It yeah. really was. The, you know, the decor was not modern at all right. no kind of yeah like, they just modernized their uh one-star restaurant the topolobampo yeah so i haven't seen it but i remember being there like i'm a big fan yeah. a big fan of rick bayless's but i was impressed like at how kind of like kind of retro yeah <laughs> in the yeah, best yeah. possible way like, yeah, the, yeah. Decor the decor was, felt yeah. totally retro yeah. but the food was spectacular food it really was awesome and, yeah and i was really you know i was blown away by the fact that he i mean i knew that he did this but that like you know even today, having restaurants that can tell you what farm their radishes yes. come from yeah. or mm-hmm. where their meat is coming from, even though that's become kind of like commonplace, mm-hmm. for the fact that he's been doing that stuff for such a long time. And like just the fact that, you know, I was there on like a Tuesday and that every week the Tuesday special is goat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's pretty like even yeah. now people aren't not eating a lot of goat. Yeah. Right. In America. And like um, he's been doing that for a long time. I wonder what his secret is because well, we should put goat on the menu. I yeah. don't know how that would fly. <laughs> but he. He's also, uh, he makes, to, like, to me, he has uh, a, a, a good presence. I imagine him being a nice person to work with in the kitchen. I know someone uh, who works at Lenya Brava, one of his newer restaurants. Uh, she's a pastry chef there who said that he's awesome to work with. That's something that Jeremy does, too, and that I strive for as well, is to not be a dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't be a dick. No. Uh, do you have any plans, Jeremy, for resurrecting Jeremy Cooks in one way or another, or having a, an online sort of presence? Or um, not currently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Jeremy Cooks was uh, 
it was necessary when it was necessary and it kind of ran its course. Um, There's your Instagram now. I have also Jeremy I mean, Cooks. We all have, <laughs> yeah, we all yeah. have Instagram accounts yeah. and, you know, Facebook. But, yeah, I um, – no, I, I don't think so. Um, I Maybe in one way, shape, or form. I, I always love to, to teach – um, and I love to learn. I mean, I'm still, I'm obviously, this is my first executive chef position. Um, I don't know everything. No one knows everything. Yeah. Um, not even Daniel Bloom and Thomas Cobb. They know a, a great deal, but they don't know everything. And I think we can all learn something from each other. Um, and I love to, and I take that into account when in the kitchen that Daniel or one of my cooks or even the dishwasher might know something that yeah. I don't. Yeah. And, um, and I and I'm very very open to that. And when I learn that, I get and when I learn something from from them, I I get inspired and educated enough to be like, okay, I'm gonna pass that. I'm gonna make sure I pass that down, and I'm gonna credit you. But like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass that down to other people. So I think in that way, Jeremy Cook still lives on because it was it was it was a website that was all about culinary knowledge and uh, culture and remaining humble. And remaining humble, yeah. So it, so it's it it lives on in that form. And who knows? Maybe I'll open a cooking school when I'm like. 60 or something. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, I, I invite you to come and, you know, teach some stuff at the Brooklyn Kitchen in I the near term. To. We can talk about that, yeah. you know, off, sort of off the air. Um, I mean, there was a, you know, I, I did look, if people are interested, not that, you know, Jeremy clearly doesn't want people like thinking this is him now, but jeremycooks.com is available on the internet, archive.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a really, you know, there's some great pictures on there. I, I saw you were at a chocolate festival and there's a wonderful picture of you as a like 18 or 19 year old, I think, um, teaching a much younger kid. Like there's a moment where you, yeah. the kid is clearly interested in what you're making and you're very focused on teaching this mm-hmm. little kid about it, which is really cool. I, you know, I applaud that. Yeah, thank you. I I love, um, I love that like when, when kids have that big, like wide eyed, like imagination about how like certain food looks or, or, you know, I think, and, and I remember that. And I think he, he like commented that the chocolate looked like this, like chocolate lava. And he was like, and it's going to burn me. And it's not, it was, it was totally like <laughs> lukewarm, but it was, um, but yeah. And, and I, and, and I'm just so inspired by that as well. So, um, so yeah, I, Long live Jeremy Cooks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys have anything, like any special events coming up at the Eddy that you want to mention? Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, we do have the... <laughs> we do, we're doing a, a Langosh pop-up um, within <laughs> within the Eddy, um, which will be the 12th, yeah. Um, will be May 12th. Uh, so we're going to open up at like n- from noon to 3, which the Eddy, by the way, is, is only dinner service we open up at 5 30 um so this will be very new to us yeah. um but the, you're, so you'll be serving langosh just like for lunch kind of is the idea exactly yeah it'll be like a takeaway there'll be take like away. cocktail cool. service you can sit and have like ice cream cookie sandwiches and a burger and also like cocktail bar, yeah. four or five different langosh uh with nice. different langosh toppings awesome put that in my calendar right now yeah. yeah and then i think at the end of may though we haven't established a date we're doing um i'm, I'm cooking a dinner that's dedicated to george lang who was the Hungarian restaurateur, yeah. um, uh, specifically uh, Cafe de Artis on the Upper West Side. Yep. Um, so I'm kind of recreating. He did an interview with uh, uh, the Village Voice long, long time ago, and he uh, stated what his last meal would be. And it's kind of like these Hungarian classics, uh, layered cabbage and gooseneck and uh, pancakes with toasted meringue. So we're going to be like recreating that for this dinner. So. Um, yeah, as soon as we have more knowledge of when that's when that's going to happen, we'll post it online and let everyone know. That sounds that sounds awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for for joining me. Um, you can follow Jeremy on Instagram at Jeremy Cooks. Uh, 
Daniel, do you have an Instagram too? I do. Uh, it's um, Daze Best. It's probably a little more difficult. <laughs> I'm it sure stands for Daniel it. Sebastian Benjamin Stork. That's how you can remember. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can follow the Eddie. It's at the Eddie NYC. Uh, the Eddie is at 342 East 6th Street, as I mentioned before. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Foodballer. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to David Tattashore, who engineers this show every week. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, now on Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to like the show on those platforms, if you do, in fact, like it. If you don't like it, you can send me an email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media. Uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.